Hi, this is Elizabeth Lonis, Director of Communications for Park Street Church, and you are listening to the Park Street Pulse podcast. Should I say the heartbeat of Park Street, or is that just way too corny? That's way too on the nose. Okay, so uh, today we are here with Nathan Skinner, Director of Music Extraordinaire. Hi, Nathan. Hi, Elizabeth. <laughs> Uh, thanks for joining me. Pleasure to be here. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to start off with the really important questions, or the main really important question. Tell me about your Lincoln Town Car. I drive a Lincoln Town Car, uh-huh. 1986, signature edition. It is a beautiful, beautiful red with tan leather interior. Mm-hmm. 5-liter V8, 4302 small block that powers the Mustang and a number of other vehicles. And it is my uh, air-conditioned living room paradise on wheels. <laughs> and, and, and would you like to explain how you take up two parking spaces on Park Street? I only take up one parking space <laughs> at Park Street Church every Sunday morning. Uh-huh. One space. I take up the full space. Uh-huh. Because but it's, it's a, only it's one space. Size car. It's a full-size car. Yeah. So, why is this the car of your dreams? Because it is large. It is comfortable. I am tall. I have very long legs. Uh-huh. And uh, it doesn't have a center console. It has lots of room. Uh-huh. And it's very comfy. <laughs> and it's very old. <laughs> it's very old. Um, you like old things. I do. Yeah. Why, I do like, like why do you like old things? Well, I don't like all old things, but I like a lot of old things. Uh, I think because I identify with a lot of the priorities and values that went into making those things. You mean things that last or things that they built a long time ago? Both, sometimes. Uh-huh. Uh, but in this case... I like the town car because when it was built, the values were comfort, um, comfort, and <laughs> comfort, and and that's that's what I'm that's what I'm all about. The 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 cars of today are, are built around um, you know, convenience of electronic uh, gadgets and things, which the my my car has plenty of, um, but. Uh, its its main deal was to be comfortable, yeah. and that's what I want to be. That's right. <laughs> so this is a nine. It's a nineteen eighty six. Nineteen eighty six. Where were you in nineteen eighty six? I was in Long Beach, California. I was two years old. Um, my uh, dad was the director of music at, uh, I believe, at that point he uh, was the director of music at the Grace Brethren Church of Long Beach. And we lived on Vernon Street in Long Beach. When did you start playing the organ? Probably around then. <laughs> we lived uh, we lived next door to um, my mom's parents in the house she grew up in, and uh, my grandfather was a was a doctor and somebody who really loved music, and he had installed a pipe organ, a very small pipe organ, in uh, the spare room in the center of their house. And so it certainly at, at holiday time when there are parties, my dad would be called upon to play and everyone would sing around the, they were all Baptists, so they all just mm-hmm. ate, <laughs> ate and sang. Um, and so I was exposed to it from a very uh, young age. And I don't really have a first memory of playing it, but I would sort of sit down and yeah. mess around with it. Do you have siblings? I have two siblings, two younger brothers. Are they musical? Uh, they are. My uh, the youngest brother, uh, Andrew, is a horn player. Um, oh, I think I saw him in lessons and carols one time. Yes, he plays uh, frequently at Park Street. Uh, he and his wife, who are both horn players, will come and come and play at Park Street. Um, so he teaches uh, he teaches school and plays horn, and uh, we have a lot of fun terrorizing each other as we have as we have our whole lives and and making music together um and my 
our middle brother is is artsy as well, but he's uh, in film. Hmm. So if you've been playing the organ since you were two years old, was it sort of you always knew that church music was where you're going to be? Was that was always the thing? I don't know. I don't. I don't really know. I mean, is church music where I am now? I guess. Um, my mom encouraged me, at least for a time in high school, to uh, go to law school and become a lawyer because she thought I was really good at arguing. Um, and uh, Gordon Hugenberger suggested that I might become a lawyer as well on on occasion. I, I think he could have done it himself. It's funny because it's true. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're a lawyer. <laughs> We try and keep that on the down low. <laughs> that's a that's a hush hush kind of thing. Anyway, uh, so um, but you didn't go to law school. You went to BU, right? I I didn't go to law school. Actually, I went to Gordon College um, with an undergrad in piano performance, which is maybe a little odd because I did not want to be a pianist. Um, if you get a degree in piano performance, you uh, can work at Starbucks <laughs> unless you happen to get a career. Right. <laughs> uh, you know, if you happen to be one of the three people who makes a career as a right. as a concert pianist, which was not something I was interested in uh, even attempting to pursue. Right. I have no interest. Um, but that was a degree, and it was in music, and I liked music, and so I, I did it, and it was a lot of fun. But then you got another degree in sacred music, right? I did. After I, I took a couple years off because, like everybody, I had been in school since I was five um, and have have disliked it ever since. Right. Um, so it took a couple years off, but then uh, my wife and I both went back to get our master's uh Hers was in violin performance from Boston Conservatory, and then I did the sacred music program uh, at Boston University. And by that time, I did feel like church music was probably probably the only uh, the only thing that combined enough of my skills, which there was a market for me to uh, make any sort of living, which is sort of humorous, given uh, that there isn't all that much demand for. Uh, professional church musicians but I went ahead with it and uh, graduated the day after my or maybe two days after my first daughter was born uh, and the day after that went to interview for the position of organist at Park Street Church and here I am. So what is the difference between a music program or music degree and a sacred music degree or what makes music sacred? Well, those are two questions of differing difficulty. Um, the The sacred music degree has a lot in common with a basic master's in music, um, but it also entails a, uh, elements from the, uh, in, in this case, the School of Theology at BU. And so we took uh, classes about the history of Christian worship, and we took uh, classes about hymnology um, and about uh, the theology of music in church and, and a lot of these sorts of things. Uh, I did some some work with uh, one of the professors there named Carl Daw who has written some hymns that we sing at Park Street and written hymns that uh, Christians all over the world sing. Um, I did some some extra work with him looking at hymn texts and tunes and, and trying to figure out you know when a, when a musician or a or a poet says this is a good tune or a bad tune. What does that mean, and how does that come from? And can we can we uh, be a little more explicit about what that is? And that was that was probably the most fascinating thing I did in my time there. Yeah. So what uh, what does make something a good tune? So for example, um, I've heard that it was said. Let me see if I can remember the exact how it goes. I'm not gonna. I brought this just in case, but I'm I'm not gonna be able to remember the one. It's it's all over the place. It's low and high. It's low and high. Is it Anna Cannon B? Yes. <laughs> Anna Cannon B. 
So And Can It Be is a tune that I've heard people say, how is this possibly a good church song? It's all over the place, it's high, it's low, it's not consistent. So why is this a good singable congregational tune? Uh, so on the one hand, it's not. And the reason it's not on the one hand in theory is that it has a really wide range. It has lots of notes. They go by very quickly. Um, and it's you know, in, in the same way that people will say our national anthem is not very singable because it's, it's very high, it's very low, it's just not. It's just not. And yet uh, we keep doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, and can it be uh, ha- has a tune that people love um, despite the fact that it has a very wide range, despite the fact that it has a lot of notes uh, and you have to you have to work to sing it. Um, in reality, in practice, it's actually a, a great tune because um, it fits the text and it uh, it it is singable even though it takes uh, effort. There there are things. Uh, that that when you when you put in effort, uh, like a runner running you a marathon, you have to you have to train uh, for for a very long time to run a marathon, and it's still very hard. But but if you're a runner and that's what you do, mm-hmm. it it works, uh, even though it's never just easy to run 26 miles. Um, and for for somebody who has the um, who has the heart. Of, of somebody who has been uh, saved by the blood of Jesus Christ, um, we have that that energy and that exuberance that that finds an outlet in in a tune like this, um, and so the the effort that it takes to sing it, there's there's really no other option because any tune that that were less wouldn't really fit the text yeah, yeah. Um, that we're singing. Is there, do you have a particular favorite example of a tune and text that fit perfectly or a text that is illustrated perfectly by the tune? That is a very good question. Um, no, I don't have one single example, but but I have a couple examples that, that I would want to mention. Um, one of them is the hymn, My Song is Love Unknown that we sing here at Park Street, um, certainly during Lent and often other times of the year. Um, and if you take a look at the text of My Song is Love Unknown uh, and you and you listen to or sing the tune that we sing, which is written by John Ireland, uh, you'll notice that midway through every stanza, the, the text sort of turns on its head um, and the tune does the same thing. The harmonies suddenly you're 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 just going in a completely different direction than you thought. Um, one of the stanzas starts uh, basically talking about Palm Sunday and how um, sometimes they strew his way and sweet hosannas sang, uh, then crucify is all their breath. And and in the same way that the text shifts, um, the music the music shifts along with it. Uh, which which isn't just it, it's not just sort of a trick of poetry, it's it's reflecting uh, a deeper reality of our faith, um, which is uh, the the stark contrast between God's love for us um, and our rebellion against Him, and all of these sorts of uh, contrasts and dichotomies that that play out uh, in the Christian life. Another one that, that I think is worth mentioning is the hymn "When I Survey the Wondrous Cross," which uh, is is known principally with two different tunes, which I think both carry something of uh, of the text. Uh, in a lot of American churches, there's a tune named Hamburg, 
that was written by Lowell Mason, former organist of Park Street Church. Um, and that's a tune that a lot of, a lot of American Christians grew up with. Uh, and it has a very limited range. There, basically, that, that means every note is right next to every other note. It's very constricted. It's sort of the opposite of something like And Can It Be. Mm-hmm. Um, and it reflects very well the, the sort of, uh, maybe solemnity isn't the word that I would use, but, but the, um, the natural reaction to, to surveying our Lord on the cross. Um, when, you're, when you're hit with tragedy, you're not going to use big flowery words and, and um, wide ranges. You think of um, the blues, very short phrases, limited uh, in, in, in range in, in, in certain contexts. Um, so in a sense, that would seem to reflect the text pretty well. The tune that we use, which is called Rockingham, uh, which is which is known uh, almost uh, exclusively in in uh, Great Britain and Canada, uh, is a tune that has a much wider range, and it's in a triple meter, which means that it has uh, multiple notes per syllable, and so it it, it feels much bigger, um, it feels more expansive, and it uh, it feels much more free, uh, and and perhaps inspiringly beautiful and I think for the Christian uh, when we survey the wondrous cross we see not um, or what 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 we what we should be surveying is not uh, principally the the sadness of of Christ dying um, but the the beauty and joy and goodness of our salvation accomplished through it. Speaking of hymn tunes, when you arrived at Park Street Church, you started instituting the placement of hymn tunes in the bulletin along the lines. Um, And... To some people, this is still surprising. <laughs> why do you want, why should someone care that the tune is Rockingham or Ham, Hamburg or Hamburg or however you say it, um, or anything? Well, I think it's, I think it's important for a couple of reasons. Um, one is uh, the bulletin is a source of information for folks and um, for, for all of the um, pieces that I play on the organ or that the choir sings, we list not only the title, but we list the composer and we list the dates the composer lived uh, to give a little uh, more information to folks. Uh, many will will want to know who wrote it so they can listen with, with sort of uh, a certain level of understanding of, of, of okay, this is a 400-year-old piece. It, it gives it a place in history. It gives you a context for, for listening uh, and also, if it's something that has has really uh, inspired someone, uh, he or she can can look it up later, mm-hmm. and uh, and continue to 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 worship God and grow through through those materials. Uh, in the same way that uh, when Gordon or Walter or anyone preaching will quote something in a sermon, there will be a reference given, and part of that is because we're you know we try to maintain good academic standards and and cite sources and all this. Um, but uh, it, it's also so that if if that particular you know mode of thinking grabs you, you can you can dig for more. Yeah. Um, so that's part of it. Uh, part of it is is a general educational uh, piece that I think uh, it's helpful to to keep in mind that that the the hymn singing um, has these two <clears throat> components of text and tune, and that hymns. Uh, Traditionally, you have a poet who writes a text, and you have um, a composer who writes a tune, and they're generally uh, the the ones who write the best hymn texts are not the best poets of their day, and the composers that write the best hymn tunes are not the best composers of their day. Um, and very, very seldom do you get somebody who can write a text and a tune. Uh, Martin Luther did a couple, uh, but Charles Wesley didn't. 
he com- he commissioned uh, composers even like uh, George Frederick Handel to write a couple of uh, tunes for his hymns. Um, so it 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 helps I, I think to to have that witness there uh, that shows how this structurally works that we're not operating on a sort of uh, prophet singer songwriter model where where um, uh, things things just sort of come into being uh, in a mysterious way, but it's it's a craft and it's a discipline. Uh, and you know, historically, the the great hymn writers have all been uh, pastors, which isn't to say that uh, they've had any uh, magical uh, poetical pathway from the heavens, but but they've been uh, folks with rigorous theological education, mm-hmm. and so the kinds of writing that that have been most valued, especially the writing that uh, has is just packed with scripture, mm-hmm. uh, comes from somebody who's studied it and studied it and studied it. When you first um, came to Park Street, I remember you, I don't remember what exactly the context was, but I remember you saying that many of the hymns that we sing are taken from the 19th century, but for you... Um, as a person who studied sacred music, that's the very recent past, and <laughs> the, that our history of um, you know Christian praise singing is much longer than that. In the history of the church, are there certain centuries that have given sort of a gift of sacred music? Um, more than others, or, or maybe this is the better question. What gifts have different centuries in the past have been given to us? It's, it's very interesting to look at uh, the contributions of, of those in the church in, in different centuries because we, we can tend to assume uh, in, in, in fields we don't, uh, haven't, haven't looked at, um, you know, if you're, if, if you're a student of history, you know that there have been certain common themes throughout recorded history, um, but but there are also certain phases. Um, for instance, the the uh, conflict between France and England mm-hmm. that sort of ruled a lot of uh, dynamic of, of large parts of the world for a very long time. That was a very specific conflict, um, and and it's it's. You know, war has always been around, but there are certain empires that that have uh, exerted a strong influence in a certain time period. Uh, and church music is the same way. There, it, it's not that there, uh, you know, every couple generations there's a good hymn writer and he writes some good tunes and, or excuse me, some good texts, and then you have some good tunes and you add a couple more to your repertoire. Um, but there have been uh, there have been certain periods in the history of the church, uh, and and part of part of this is uh, there are there are certain Phases. Uh, there are certain historical eras, and there are certain um, denominations within the church that have um, fostered development and flourishing in the arts. Um, uh, for instance, J.S. Bach, who is recognized by most anybody in in Western music as as the pinnacle of of compositional achievement, uh, and by Church musicians as a wonderful uh, example of a of a faithful, devout believer, um, who was really not recognized during his lifetime. He was thought to be very old fashioned and wasn't wasn't the first choice of the committee that hired him at his at his uh, final and longest post. Um, but history has has judged him to be the master, and it's unlikely that 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 will change. It's not as though you know, the next generation when I'm old will have realized, oh, the next J.S. Bach is here. It's possible, but unlikely. Um, but the the circumstances at that time were such that, that allowed him to, to, to develop. You uh, have someone like Charles Wesley, who is in, in a certain sense the, you know, the, the hero of, of uh, him, l- lyric poets, um, and he, uh, his work came into being because he and his brother were were starting this movement uh, of of Methodism, 
and they wrote hymns in order to further their theology and their um, method of religion, which ended up working very well. Um, but if you chart, um, if you chart hymns that churches sing, you get this, you know, bump during Charles Wesley's life because, well, there's Charles Wesley, one man, creating this large, this large bump. Um, and and so it's interesting to see, you know, it, Lutheranism is is a is a big uh, school within the, the the world of church music, but uh, great Lutheran church music doesn't doesn't just come from all time periods. You get you get a huge outpouring uh, in the generations leading up to Bach, uh, and then after that it sort of peters out because because of the theological winds at the time and because of uh, political winds as well. You have to have uh, you have to have financial support, and that often came from uh, from princes and electors. And um, as those winds are changing, the the outcome is changing. Um, in, in certainly in in the United States, um, what we think of as as evangelicalism, uh, our, our our worship practices grew out of, in large part, uh, the sort of revivalist environment of the nineteenth century. Um, and that had its own particular uh, musical needs and agenda. Um, you're having these revival meetings. You're trying to uh, inspire and stir up a crowd to to make a decision to to follow Jesus. And so a lot of that music uh, has a has a particular bent to it. Um, and as as time went on, um, there was there was some discovery. Of of broader uh, musical materials, but there was there was also a, a certain I don't know if I'd call it a bubble, but but not a full reaching out, uh, generally speaking, uh, into the historic materials of of great music in the church, um, and part of that was because prior to prior to that period. Uh, you're looking at the period of exclusive psalmody in a lot of these churches, so they're singing only the 150 psalms. Uh, this was certainly the case when Park Street Church was was founded in 1809. It was the psalms, uh, which, if you think about it, it means Christians in worship are never singing about the resurrection of our Lord, which is the foundation of our faith and the reason we come to worship on the Lord's Day on Sunday. Uh, they did not sing about... Uh, our redemption through Jesus' death. They did not. We did not sing about um, his life of perfect obedience. Any of these things, and it's there's there's plenty of foreshadowing in the Psalms, but it's not explicit. There's um, no way in the manger. There's no way in the manger. That is that is for sure. There's no Christ the Lord is risen today. Right. Um, and and so uh, part of uh, P- Park Street from from its founding uh, actually did want to. Uh, to utilize the, the the great music from the broad traditions of the church, one of the uh, phrases used was the the solid music of the old masters. Um, that that they wanted to, to to have really great music, and and in a you know in a uh, city that was wealthy at the time and, and growing in wealth, there were there were the resources to do that. Uh, even though the United States at at that time musically didn't really have much in the way of refinement or uh, learned music making. Um, and so my, my goal, uh, w- one of my goals in, in this has been to continue that, uh, vision to, to have Park Street, uh, utilize music from, from all, from all of, uh, the, the, the historical offerings of, of what the church has, has produced mm-hmm. and have, have us be able to benefit from them. If you were to prophesy in 500 years, uh, what do you believe would be the gift or contribution of current music today from, let's say, 80s Maranatha stuff to mm. Chris Tomlin, etc.? That's a very interesting question, and I'm not sure it's one I can answer um, because only history can judge art uh, really at the end of the day. Um, you know, for, for, for instance, the Maranatha type stuff from the 80s, uh, if I were to hazard a guess based on today, 
it it has it has completely disappeared. Uh, even ten years ago, fifteen years ago, it had completely disappeared uh, from from use in in most every church that had had used it. Um, and uh, there's there's a lot of music throughout history. You know, there, for for every Bach who later is discovered by Mendelssohn and and becomes well, he becomes Bach. Um, there are other composers that that they're they're not ever going to be Bach. Mm-hmm. Um, so the fact that the fact that music slips into obscurity doesn't definitively mean that it will remain there, and it doesn't definitively mean that it won't remain there. Um, you know, in 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 five hundred years, I have no idea. <laughs> I have no idea. I think that this this century, well, the past century, the twentieth century, has been uh, a producer of of a um, a complete dismantling of of what what art music is uh, in terms of the the modern the modern uh well you know uh, everything goes together with with philosophy and with visual art and uh and all of this um but the atonal music that that characterized much of art music in the 20th century that was sort of uh pushed into the academy because the general public wasn't really interested that was uh i would think in 500 years that will have been seen as an odd aberration uh that um, you know, when Brahms was writing, was premiering his symphonies, it wasn't only for uh, intellectual academic uh, amusement. It was music that people reacted to on a really visceral level. And in the 20th century, that kind of um, response has not been present in art music, uh, but it found an outlet in uh, a completely new uh system of 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 music uh which is commercial music with the advent of of recordings um you have music that's designed to sell and to sell widely what do you think about fanny crosby that's a very broad question (laughs) because and i ask this because i don't think you've ever chosen to sing fanny crosby at park street uh we have sung we have sung fanny crosby um Perhaps not as much as as well, more than some people would like, and less than others would like. Um, Fanny Crosby wrote a lot of hymns. She wrote thousands of hymns, um, and the vast majority of them, uh, nobody sings ever. Uh, and that's true for Charles Wesley, as well. Uh, it's true. I mean, Charles Wesley wrote more bad hymns than mostly anybody. Uh, so, you know, same with same with a lot of these folks. Um, but Fanny Crosby uh, has has been enduring partly because she wrote so much. And if if you write eight thousand hymns, if you write you know twenty thousand hymns, um, even if you write a thousand hymns, you're probably gonna gonna find one that's gonna if if you know what you're doing, um, you're you're gonna find something that will that will stick with people. Um, Fanny Crosby's uh, hymn writing uh, fits. Perfectly with with what I was talking about with with the sort of um, revival um, mindset, uh, in which the the hymn is is very much about uh, sometimes about conversion experience. Um, so for people who who just might not know her, I'd say her most famous one is "Blessed Assurance." Yes. Yes. Does she have other famous ones? Uh, to God be the glory oh, okay. is her best. Okay. Is her best. But Blessed <laughs> Assurance is probably her most well known. Um, she's 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 writing in this in this mold in which uh, the songs tend to be about uh, sometimes about a conversion experience, uh, but often about uh, in in some way the 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 experience or the faith of the, of well of, of herself but of of, of the person singing, um, and. There, there's nothing, uh, you know, heretical or evil about that, but the uh, the historical priority of corporate worship in the church, um, and this is where this sort of broader uh, uh, mindset uh, gets us, uh, is that is that we sing about God, 
uh, which isn't to say that we're, it, it doesn't mean that we're self-centered for singing about our faith because we're singing about our faith for God. Uh, but we tend to sing and prefer more uh, the hymns that are about who God is and what he has done, uh, his, his salvation, his, uh, our, our salvation through, through Christ, uh, his attributes, uh, which isn't to, uh, to say that it's bad to sing about a personal experience. Um, but the, the, uh, if, if you look through the Psalms and a lot of these, um, a lot of the biblical invitations to praise, uh, it's, it's, it's striking how consistently it, it is all about, uh, tell of his wondrous works, sing of the Lord, sing of, it, it's, it's always telling us, sing about God, uh, and, and the church throughout the centuries, uh, and and as I have looked at this, I, I cer- certainly am in agreement that uh, you know there can be there can be a good thing that sometimes uh, can can keep you from a better thing. And so there are, there are a lot of great hymns, lots and lots of great hymns. But on a Sunday morning, uh, when I'm selecting the hymns, I'm certainly um, uh, emphasizing those hymns that are about you know tell of his tell of his works. Mm-hmm. They're about God, who He is, uh, what He's done. Uh, and so the hymn writers that, that tend to, to do that are going to be more represented. Anyone who has gone to church for any length of time has come to church on a Sunday when they didn't feel about singing how, about how they felt about God. They could, well, you know, I'll just speak for myself here, but there have been many Sundays when it was just not, you couldn't sing to God, I feel happy about you because that just wasn't true. But I could still sing all the true things about God, regardless of how I felt about it. This is true, <laughs> and this is important, and and this is this is part of a it it, it event eventually gets onto uh, a view of the nature of faith, hmm. uh, and is is faith about feelings? Is faith about how you feel at any given time? Uh, and, and certainly Park Street being uh, founded and continuing in a, in a reform tradition uh, doesn't, doesn't really follow that model that, that you know, I mean, we're, we're sinful, fickle creatures. And if, if my faith and my, my worship of God depended on uh, feeling a certain way at any given time, I think we'd we'd all be in 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 trouble if if uh, you know Gordon's preaching of the word depended on whether he were uh, particularly enamored and inspired with with uh, you know a given sentence at any given time. We would we would be in trouble. Uh, we depend on the faithfulness of the word, God's faithfulness to us, and this is part of. Uh, I mean, it, it it all it all works together that uh, you know our worship is not primarily about our uh, feelings because our our salvation is not at all about what we have done it's about what God has done and so we're we're not uh, in a place to to uh, retell the story of of how we feel for God because the story of how we feel for God is is fickle and flawed um, and riddled through with with sin um, but the story of how God has has treated us is a story that's that's worth telling, and and, and even if we don't feel like it, uh, we can be we can be reminded. Um, I think that Chris Tomlin is a really good example of a modern um, songwriter who does who does this. You know, his songs, famous one, indescribable, how great is our God? Mm-hmm. You can sing these. Every day, absolutely, <laughs> rain or shine, absolutely. <laughs> um, so let's uh, let's talk about organs. Okay. The organ is, I have heard, the most complicated invention of mankind up until computers. I have heard it too. I think it's I think it's believable. I I, I don't know of anything else that would fit the bill. Why organs? <laughs> about that what um organs have been controversial in the past there was zwingli right 
they have. Yeah, well, people. Zwingli is an aberration, but 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 yes, he 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 didn't like music at all. He was a he was a very grumpy man, as far as I can tell. <laughs> okay, I mean, how so can you... people who didn't believe in instrument instruments in church, right? Particularly organs being evil. Mm-hmm. Um, I am going. I suspect you believe that organs are. God's gifts to mankind, <laughs> and that we should all love oh, them. Oh, <laughs> I, I think they're, I think they're fine. Uh, the organ was controversial back in the 12th century when it was first coming into churches, and the the church is sort of evaluating skeptically, as as I think the church should always evaluate. Uh, you know, is this is this going to uh, elevate and contribute to the worship of God? Is this going to be a distraction? What is this going to be? Um, and at various times, the you know the organs have been you know during the during the English Commonwealth, they were not they were not organs. The 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 you know our 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 theological forebears as Congregationalists, um, I I cannot I cannot claim much common ground with them on on music, um, nor nor could the founders of Park Street Church. You know the, the, there was not an organ at at the, at the church's founding, but there were there were instruments. Yeah. Um, so the 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 organ is you know the the organ is a great instrument to be to be sure nobody can can argue with the what the organ can do um i don't i don't necessarily think that that the organ is uh sacred in the sense that it it it, it occupies a um a dogmatically hallowed uh authoritative role actually isn't one of the most famous organs in america in a mall the largest organ uh the largest working organ in the world is in macy's center city philadelphia right um and in the in a world before just putting in millions of speakers john wanamaker who was a pioneer in department store development um thought well if there's music playing people will buy more things and of course, he was right, um, and so there's this enormous organ in uh, in Macy's in Center City, Philadelphia, uh, that is has been well loved over the years, and Macy's uh, puts resources into it. the 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 other largest organ, which for years and years didn't work, and now it's finally being being rebuilt, is in the uh, convention hall, uh, boardwalk hall in Atlantic City, uh, and it's one of these enormous convention centers that was used for everything. Um, it's been used for the I think you know recently the organ got some some acclaim because it was used during the Miss America pageant a couple years ago, um, but it was um, th- this this room is so enormous you you couldn't use a symphony orchestra you'd have to have you know a dozen of them in different places throughout the room, and so if you wanted music you had to have this enormous organ, uh, so the organ uh, basically developed. Uh, because it could it could do things that no other single instrument could. You 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 could have the full uh, resources of an orchestra and even many orchestras um, played by one person. Which if you're uh, the the town treasurer or the church treasurer, this is this is much more feasible than hiring a, a large orchestra every week. Um, and it's it's easier to keep together. And if you need to make a make a change or to 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 follow a a soloist who's uh doing something uh creative and in in in, to to use a kind term being led Uh, by the spirit being led by the well what (laughs) what the soloist certainly thinks is the spirit uh an organist can is is one man or woman uh and can and can do this and so in the you know in 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 the worship of god you know god is infinite god is uh, majestic, he is glorious, beautiful, um, the sound of trumpets, uh, but yet also a whisper, uh, kindness and gentleness and love, um, justice and judgment, mercy. Um, the, 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 if you think of the sounds of the worship of God, there's all this stuff, uh, and the organ's really the only instrument, it, there, there are other instruments that do all of these things better, individually um you know a brass choir it can 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 create a much a better regal fanfare than an organ uh but the organ's the only instrument that can do all of it and so as an instrument for leading christian worship the organ uh is is uh, sort of uniquely situated to to 
to assist. It's a, it's a tool. You know, there's a really interesting theme in what you're saying here about the, uh, the poet might not be the best poet. The lyricist, or the, the, the person who writes the, I mean, the person who writes the tune, the composer, might not be the best composer, but together they make the best hymn. The organ might not be best at, you know, better than a flute at playing flutes, but mm-hmm. in combination with the congregation singing and the organ singing and all, it's like, you know, it's sort of like the body of Christ. It is like the body of Christ. <laughs> and that's very clever. It's amazing how that happens. Yeah. Uh, I wonder if anybody's ever thought of that. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's it's absolutely true. And, and in the in these, uh, you know, for, for corporate worship, um, the the needs are going to be different than than perhaps for individual worship. Um, you might enjoy reading the poetry of John Donne. Uh, now there may be an occasion uh, where a choir sings a text of John Donne set to music, but uh, it's unlikely. I would have to say it's unlikely that a congregation uh, is is going to really be able to sink its teeth into. Uh, you know, a, a, a hymn tune setting the poetry of John Donne. It's just way beyond what you can digest uh, in real time. No, I mean, I, I would say even a, a connoisseur of John Donne, you put in front of him a poet poem that he's not, never seen before, you, you, you can't digest that in real time. And when you're, you're singing a hymn or listening to an anthem, you are digesting that in real time. And hopefully you uh, don't digest everything the first time because we hopefully can can grow with this with these materials as, as we go along but um, uh, suffice it to say that that when we're when we're coming when we're coming together it's not uh, it's not about you know what what piece may uh, you know amuse me as an organist or um, you know what what piece, uh, you know, Elizabeth Ostling or Julianne Johnston really, really likes to play on the flute, but, but we're, we're all, we're all in this together. Or, or maybe, you know, maybe I would like to play the flute, but guess what? I can't actually play the flute. So I might, you know, if, if I, I actually don't play the flute at all, that just came to mind for who knows what reason. But, you know, if I wanted to play the flute to, to the Lord, I might do that, uh, between me and the Lord. Um, but, but when we're doing things together, there's, there's a, there's a, a, a different consideration that I think uh, extends from from the concept to the execution. Can you let people know the state of the organ now? I think there are some repairs that need to be made. Why this makes a difference? That kind of stuff. Yeah. The so our pipe organ was was installed in 1960, um, and it has served faithfully for for decades, um, and it now needs a lot of love. Uh, we've done some work to the organ, but uh, the bulk remains to be done. Uh, this summer we're doing a chunk of work, um, but the the work after that remaining will total about eight hundred thousand um, dollars. And we've we've potentially divided it into three different phases, um, but it's uh, it's it's a lot of money. But but organs last a long time, uh, hundreds and hundreds of years, uh, just like the building. So it's. You know, it's better to think of the organ as part of the building than it is to think of it like a piano or something because they, they really they last uh, a very long time uh, with, with very little uh, maintenance compared to most systems and equipment and buildings even. Um, so uh, keep, the, keep the organ in your, in your prayers. Uh, and, and those that, that would like to support it, we have an organ fund. And you can access that online at uh, on the Park Street uh, giving page. And if you'd like to learn more about our organ or about the the music, uh, we do have a, a music ministry webpage that has a lot of information about the organ. You can see um, and also notes about the hymns that we sing and the special music and all the that kind of stuff. All sorts of things. If you're interested about music, cert, uh, excuse me, interested in music, uh, certainly check out our page. You can look at the original organ dedication program from 1960. Um, you can see pictures of the inside of the organ. You can read uh, some papers that are up there about uh, theology and worship. And and what if a person plays the inter- an instrument and would like to be in the orchestra or in a band or anything like that? You, if you are interested <laughs> in music, please contact me. Uh, you can email music at parkstreet.org. Uh, and I'd love to meet you and chat. 
yeah. and see how we can help you be involved. Awesome. Um, so let's say a prayer for, I guess, the people of God at Park Street and worship and whatever you want to pray for. Okay. Heavenly Father, we pray for uh, Park Street Church, for the congregation here, and for the work that, through your uh, grace, we are attempting to do. Uh, bless us that every day we would become more like Jesus through through worship and the study of your word and through obedience to you and your commandments. Lord, thank you for bringing Nathan here. Um, to Park Street Church. Thank you for, um, thank you for the Schmunk family as well, and um, the Adelmans and everyone who contribute to leading the church in worship. I pray that you would bless them and um, their families and their work, and please continue to teach us how to worship in spirit and in truth. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. Mm-hmm.